Amen. That's good. That's our testimony, isn't it? Went down a beggar and come up a millionaire. Praise the Lord. Thank you all. That was good. How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building? And I want to ask you to take your Bible. Now, it's going to be hard for you to find this one, but join me, if you will, tonight in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. All right? Ephesians chapter 4. And the reason I say that's hard is because I preached from that this morning. And uh, so if you'll join me there, page number 1254, if you have an old Schofield Bible, the book of Ephesians chapter number 4. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, to just listen tonight again, and you, and you always do. Boy, our church listens well, and I appreciate that with all my heart. But uh, I want to just kind of just leave some things with you that I hope the Lord will use to help us as we live out these last days. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, don't forget, Wednesday night, We'll be back in the book of 2 Timothy, and uh, so I hope you'll be here for that. Boy, I've enjoyed preaching through that book so far, and uh, so i got another thing or two to say about it this coming uh, Wednesday night, and I hope you'll be here for our Wednesday night prayer meeting service at 7 o'clock. And if you're visiting with us again, thank you for being with us in the service this evening. Ephesians chapter 4, if you're there, would you say amen? amen. All right, let's have prayer. And we're just going to jump into this and get started. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that good song and all the good singing, music that we've heard here tonight. Thank you for people that are willing to use their talents to glorify and honor you, Lord, and uh, to be a blessing to us and encourage our hearts through their music. And uh, so, Father, I pray now, Lord, after the good music, I sure would hate for the preaching to be anticlimactic. I pray tonight the Word of God will just speak to our hearts and, Lord, I pray people will sit up and just listen tonight, please. Lord, what I've got to say here tonight, really, uh, not me, but what the Bible has to say could really change somebody's life for the better. I believe that. Tonight, tonight, some relationships could be put back together. Some homes, some hurts could be healed tonight if we'll just listen. And I pray, God, that you'll help me. Lord, open our hearts to receive what you have for us. And I pray that God, the Spirit of God, will just prick our hearts, finger our hearts, touch our hearts, and help us tonight as we consider this matter, please, in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us over the last two or three Sunday evenings, then you may recall that we're in kind of a mini-series of sermons that I've entitled, If I'm Saved, Why Am I So Unhappy? If I'm Saved, Why Am I So Unhappy? Am I so unhappy? You know, once again, I think I just will stop and remind all of us that one of the results, one of the consequences of being saved is something called joy. You can't receive Jesus and not be joyful about it. You can't be saved as such, just get saved, leave all your sins, give all your sins to Jesus, have him to wash them clean in his shed blood, and, and not have a measure of joy about that happening to you. I think when you and I got saved, the natural outworking of getting saved produced joy and happiness in our lives. The Bible said over the book of Proverbs, again, if you'll look at this verse, the Bible said in that last phrase, Whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Boy, I like that word, whoso, don't you? God just don't save a few people and they get happy about it. Anybody that gets saved, anybody that trusts the Lord, the Bible said, happy is he. Happy is he. John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life, overflowing, abundant, joyful life, 
bountiful life. Jesus said, that's what I came. Uh, the devil came and he wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. But Jesus said, what I want to do is I want to give you life. And not just life, but I want to give you life more abundantly. That leads me to say that Jesus didn't die on the cross and then save us to make us miserable. Can I say that one more time? Jesus didn't die on the cross just so that we could be saved and live a miserable life. Being saved is not the price that you and I have to pay to go to heaven. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Being saved is not the price that you and I pay for just going to heaven. Jesus died and then saved us in order to produce joy in our lives. In fact, you can't, you can't read through the four Gospels, which basically contains the history of the life of Christ, and not understand that Jesus had joy while he was here on this earth. He had a continuous joy. He had a conspicuous joy. And he had a contagious joy. Jesus had a continuous joy, regardless of what was going on in his life, regardless of the circumstances that he was facing. Jesus had a continual joy. Even when he was getting ready to go to Calvary, Hebrews 12:2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Can you believe that after doing and understanding, knowing all that he was going to have to go through, the Bible said it was a joy that was set before him. I know probably some of you think, man, if Jesus had to live the life that I'm living, he wouldn't have joy either. But can I just remind us all, he did live a hard life. I mean, there were pe people constantly trying to trap him and trick him and people co constantly trying to find fault with him, just like most of us in this room tonight, and yet he had a continuous, a conspicuous joy. Jesus had the kind of joy that people noticed. That's why he was always invited to feasts and suppers and, and special events and weddings because, man, people just saw, you know, being around Jesus is like a fresh breath of air. It's like opening a, a window on a breezy day in a stale room. Boy, just being around Jesus brings a certain amount of joy. And then Jesus looks at you and me and says, Okay, I want you, my plan, my will for your life is for you to have the same kind of joy that I have. In John 15, verse number 11, Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that your joy, our joy, uh, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be what? Full. In other words, Jesus just don't want you to have joy up to here. He don't want you to be up to your nose. He don't want you to be up to your eyes. Jesus wants us to be full of joy. And yet, there are so many unhappy, saved people. Let's do this tonight. For just, can we have fun for just a minute? It's only 6.05. Colombo don't come on too late. So uh, can we have fun for just a minute? I want you to do this. Think with me about this for just a minute. I want you to think about, and I'll not make this hard on you, make it easy, but I want you to think about three Christians that you know, not five or ten, but only three Christians that you know that truly have joy. Now just stop for just a moment and think about that. I'm going to give you three hours to think about it. Three people that you know that really have joy. Now look at me. i got a question for you. Was one of those people you just thought about, was it you? Was it you? I mean, the truth of the matter is, let's just be honest. Boy, this room is full of unhappy Christians. I'm not getting after you. 
Because I think we all sometimes are unhappy, but I mean there are more unhappy Christians than there are happy Christians. There are more joyless Christians than they are joyful Christians. Can I stop and say that the greatest advertisement for Christ and for Christianity is a child of God that has joy in his heart? Boy, you talk about an attraction. You talk about a good advertisement. Let a child of God get full of joy and walk into this old lost world in a lost environment where people are miserable. Let a, a saved, born-again child of God have joy in his heart and walk in there. That's a good advertisement for Jesus. But can I say the equal and the opposite of that is true as well? Let a child of God be miserable and morbid, and you talk about one of the greatest turnoffs for Christianity. There is no greater turnoff than a Christian that does not have joy. So why? Why are there so many unhappy Christians? Well, if you've been with us over these past two or three, four, how many ever, Sunday nights that it's been, you know I've been doing some troubleshooting. I've been trying to, maybe, let's just mark some things. You know when your car starts doing something wrong or whatever, and you ever notice it don't do it wrong when you carry it to the mechanic? It always tears up when you're driving, but when you take it down to Brother Darrell, say, Brother Darrell, something's wrong with his car. And, and he says, well, what's wrong with it? You say, it's doing, jaboom, jaboom, jaboom. It don't never do, jaboom, 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 when he's driving it. So he has to go through the troubleshooting process. He has to eliminate some things to try to get to the bottom of what's going on. So what I've been trying to do over these past several Sunday nights is try to eliminate some things. Let's mark some things off. Maybe this is the reason why you don't have joy. And I've just been naming some things and then preaching about it. You remember uh, two or three Sunday nights ago I said maybe, number one, maybe, maybe the reason you don't have joy is because you're unsure. You have an unsure salvation. You know, doubt and joy can't live in the same heart. And if there's doubt there, especially about your relationship with God, you'll never really have the joy of knowing Jesus until you get the doubt settled that you are saved and on your way to heaven. If you were to come to my office tomorrow and this was your experience, and you said, Preacher, I don't, I'm saved, but I'm just so unhappy. What's wrong with me? First thing I'm going to do is say, Hey, let's talk about your relationship with God. Tell me about getting saved. Hey, tell me, are you sure you're saved? Because, buddy, if you're not sure you're saved, man, there's your problem right there. That's why you don't have joy. Can I say this? Jesus came not only to save you, but he came so that you can know that you were saved. The only thing being saved is knowing that you're saved. Amen? And so an unsure salvation. How sure, if you had to die tonight, how sure of you that you would go to heaven? Amen. Unsure salvation. Boy, last week we really took it a step further, didn't it? Because I said, number two, maybe if you're sure of your salvation, then let's set that down. That's not the problem. Then maybe last Sunday night I talked about this. Maybe your problem could be some unconfessed sin. You see, the truth of the matter is this. If there's something going on in our life that ought not be going on and is contrary to the will of God and contrary to the Word of God, can I tell you something? Joy and unconfessed sin can't live in the same heart. That's right. Buddy, I'm telling you what water is to fire, sin is to joy. And a lot of God's people want to sneak around. They want to keep some old secret something tucked away in their life. And then they wonder, why don't I have joy? Well, let me just tell you something. Buddy, if you have unconfessed sin in your heart, you'll never, never have the joy of Jesus in your soul. When sin walks in, joy packs his bags and walks out. 
Maybe your problem tonight is unconfessed sin. I want to ask you again, is there a room in your heart that you won't allow God to go into? Is there a room that you've got shut off and you won't give God the key for it? Let me tell you something. You'll never have joy until you hand God the keys to every room in your heart and say, God, go in there, clean the trash out, clean the mess up, get the filth out of my life, and then and then only can you really have the joy of Jesus in your soul. Maybe your problem is unconfessed sin. But maybe you sit here tonight and say, Nope, preacher, I don't, that's not my problem. Let's carry it a third step then. Maybe your problem is this, an unforgiving spirit. Can I tell you something tonight, truth be told, there are only, there are only two things that can defeat you as a child of God, and one is unconfessed sin, and two is an unforgiving spirit. There are only two things that can come in between you and God, and that is, of course, your sin and then your spirit. Only two things that can defeat you as a child of God. And can I just stop and ask you tonight, is there somebody that you're harboring bitter feelings in your heart against? Is there somebody that's hurt you and you've yet to forgive them? You say, well, preacher, they didn't ask me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about is there somebody in this world that's hurt you or maybe hurt a member of your family. And because of that, you are unwilling to forgive them. Let me put it to you like this. I heard the story one time about this lady. She had been feeling well. So after just wrestling with it, wrestling with it, finally she gives up and she goes and sees a doctor. Well, her doctor says, ma'am, I have no idea what's wrong with you, but let's run some tests. So they took blood and did all that stuff that they normally do, and he had her to come back in a couple of days. And when she came back, he said, Ma'am, I don't know hardly how to tell you this, but ma'am, we've discovered through all of our tests that somehow or another, some way, you've contracted rabies. Well, she didn't say anything. She just reached over the purse, got a little pad out, and started just feverishly writing stuff down. I mean, just writing like crazy. And he said, Ma'am, let me tell you something. Ma'am, just to be honest with you, don't worry. You're not going to die. You don't have to make out your will. We have the antidote for rabies, and in a few days you'll be feeling better. She said, I'm not making out my will. He said, what are you doing? She said, I'm writing down the names of the people that I want to bite. <laughs> now, if you went to the doctor tomorrow, if you went to the doctor tomorrow and he ran some tests and you come back and he says, I don't have to tell you this, you have got rabies, can I ask you something? Is there somebody you want to bite? <laughs> I got several people I'd like to bite. No, I'm just kidding about that. Is there somebody that's hurt you? Somebody that has done you wrong? Well, let me tell you something. Until you forgive that person, you're never going to experience the joy that Jesus wants you to have. Now, I read this verse this morning, and we had fun with it. Boy, I have really took a big ribbon over what I preached on this morning. But look back in chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Look again at verse number 32. Say these words with me. Be ye, be, and be ye, what's the first one? Kind. That's the K. To uh, one, another, one to another. Tenderhearted. What's the next word? Forgiving. That's the F. Forgiving one another, even as God for. Christ's sake hath forgiven 
you. Now, I want to tell you something. One of the greatest verses in all of the Bible on the subject of forgiveness is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32. And let me tell you what this verse really does. This verse tells us why we need to forgive people. Even when they've hurt us, and I mean hurt us deeply. I'm telling you, there ain't a person in this room that hadn't been hurt before. There, uh, can I really encourage your heart? You hang around a while, you're going to get hurt again too. But there's people sitting in this room tonight, you've been hurt. Maybe as a child you were hurt by a relative who maybe abused you, did something bad to you. Maybe that's your hurt that all these years you've been harboring that in your heart. Maybe there's somebody sitting here and your wife or your husband walked out on you for another person. I mean, maybe you came home one day and there was a Dear John letter sitting on your kitchen table that started something like this. I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Can I just stop and say this while I'm on that subject? Might as well just go ahead and say I found somebody else I want to love better. I'm telling you, don't be mad at me, but nine out of ten times when I deal with people who start up that garbage, I love you, but I'm not in love with you, they got somebody else they're in love with. That's what the problem is. I just want to sit over there sometime and just throw up. Don't tell me that stuff. Just be honest and come in and say, man, I found somebody. I found somebody who looks like Fabio that I'm in love with. And why anybody would want to love him is beyond me. A man needs a haircut bad. But you didn't hear that from me. But I'm just trying to say tonight, man, maybe you've been hurt by a spouse who walked out on you, left you high and dry with the children, unpaid bills, and they're off tonight, man, having a so-called time of their life. Maybe that's your hurt. Maybe you got hurt in a family kind of a situation. Maybe somebody died and, and uh, you didn't get what was coming to you. Maybe the wheel said you were supposed to get this and then low down. Scoundrels, they took that frying pan you were supposed to have. They took that quilt that Grandma left you. And man, you just heard about that tonight. How do people could do something like that to me? I'd like to strangle that crowd because they got my... What was supposed to come? Maybe that's your hurt tonight. Maybe you got hurt on the job. Maybe somebody else passed you over for a promotion. And boy, you're hurt and you're nursing. You're nursing that unforgiveness in your life tonight. Well, I've got to tell you something. Listen to me. If you love you, I didn't say if you love the Lord. I didn't say if you love that person. I said if you love you, you need to forgive those people tonight. Now, this is not some kind of pop psychology. This is Bible preaching right here. And I want to tell you from verse number 32 why you need to have a forgiving spirit. Look at verse 32. Let me say number one. Here's why you should forgive. Number one, the reason of grace. The reason of grace. You see, this verse says this, that we were forgiven by God for Christ's sake. We, you and I, God, for Christ's sake, for, for Jesus' sake, has forgiven us. Now, everybody in this room that's been saved has been forgiven. Now, wait a minute. Can I ask you something? Did you hurt Jesus more than that person has hurt you? I mean, you stop and think about it. Stop and think about all those things we did to Jesus. I mean, we, we, we took his name in vain. We live like he didn't even exist. I mean, he created us, and yet we give our life over to the devil. I mean, there we were doing all of that. I mean, following after this, never even giving him a second thought. He was the farthest thing from our mind, and yet 
when the Spirit of God convicted us of our sin and we came to Jesus, Jesus didn't look at us and say, how dare you come to me after you've lived like you've lived? You know what the Bible said? God forgave us for Jesus' sake. All of those terrible things we ever did when we came to Jesus, God forgave us. Now, can I ask you something? Oh, Sam Jones was a Methodist preacher, old-timey Methodist preacher, and here's what he said. He said, I'll never fall out with anybody who's not treated me worse than I treated Jesus. We treated Jesus terrible. And yet when we came to him, when we came to God, begging God for forgiveness, God forgave us. Let me say this. He forgave us fully. He fully forgave us. What I'm trying to say is this, ladies and gentlemen, when God forgave you, He just didn't forgive you of 75% of your sins. He didn't forgive you of 85 or 90 or even 99 and three quarters percent of your sin. When you came to Jesus, God wiped the whole slate clean, forgave you fully of every sin that you'd ever committed. He forgave us fully. Can I say number two, He forgave us freely. Freely he forgave us. It didn't cost me a dime to get forgiven. Aren't you glad for that? Well, I tell you what, as mean as some of us was, I mean, the bill would have been pretty high for us to have got forgiveness. I mean, wouldn't it? I mean, if God charged people for, to forgive them, none of us could afford it. So here's what the Bible said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 8. Freely ye have received. Aren't you glad when you come to Jesus there was no charge? Thank God we were freely forgiven. Fully forgiven. And the Bible said now that you have been free, you have freely received forgiveness. What's the next verse that say? What's the next that say? If you freely received it, do what? Freely give it. Am I in the Bible? He forgave us fully. He forgave us freely Thank God he forgave us finally. You know something? You and I, on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, will never have to stand before God and give an account for one sin that we've ever confessed to him. Is that not amazing? I mean, you've got to stop thinking. You know our time is divided into two sections, right? We have a B.C. time. Like, boy, they say, 500 years ago B.C. or whatever. In the year 3000 B.C. or whatever. B.C. And then we've got an A.D. Now, I don't know about all that stuff. I know they're Latin phrases. But B.C. to me, let's just say, people, let's say B.C. is before we came to Christ. And A.D. is after we were delivered by Christ. Now, can I tell you something? Everybody in this room has a B.C. period in your life. Everybody in this room's got a past. I know you do. I know you sit here tonight and you got your right guard on. You smell good, look good. But let me tell you something, there was a time in your life you was lost as a ball in high weeds. There was a time in your life you was mean. There was a time in your life you had old sinful desires and wicked things going on in your life. You know why? We all had a B.C. period. But aren't you glad for the day you came to Calvary? And, buddy, you just unloaded it all and left it there at Calvary, and thank God now we're on the other side of Calvary. And we look back on all that stuff, and thank God sometimes the devil brings it up to us and haunts us about our past. But aren't you glad what plays on the screen of our mind will never play, play on the screen of heaven? You know why? When God forgives it, God forgets it. Amen. I know we don't have the ability to forget unless we get Alzheimer's. Sometimes I think I got it. But can I tell you this? We don't have that ability. 
but we can do our best to leave it in the past. I said this, man, the reason we need to forgive is the reason of grace. The reason of grace. Can I say number two? The reason, second reason we need to have a forgiving spirit is the result of grief. The result of grief. Can I say this? Hear me and hear me well. When you and I, somebody does something to us and we won't forgive them, can I tell you something? It brings grief. It brings grief. Really, it grieves two persons, two people. First of all, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Look back in verse 30, chapter 4, verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. When you and I, as a child of God, when we get an unforgiving spirit about us, and we won't forgive somebody for what they've done against us, we want to hang on to it and nurture, nurse it, and man, we want to just keep that old bitter spirit about us. When we do that, the Bible said we grieve, we hurt the Holy Spirit. We grieve Him. Can I tell you something? You and I will never have joy we will never be happy as long as he's unhappy. i got to say that one more time because that went right over. If the Holy Spirit's unhappy with you, you're never going to have happiness in your heart. As long as we're grieving him, it will grieve us. I, I loved, and I don't watch them much anymore, but they still come on on me TV, the old Batman and Robins. You ever remember those? And, and, uh, and, and Robin would have been a great Baptist preacher because he always obliterated stuff. You ever notice something would happen and he would say something like this, holy headache. You ever heard him say it? Holy hot foot. Holy hamstrings. Holy homecoming. Holy heart failure. Holy homework. Well, can I tell you this? You know what he would say to a child of God who lets unforgiveness come in their heart? He would say this, Holy hurt. You know why? We hurt the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we won't forgive. And as long as He's not happy, we're not going to be happy. It don't matter what you try to do. If He's hurting, we're going to be hurting because He lives on the inside of every born-again child of God. And can I say this? We not only hurt the Spirit, we hurt ourselves when we won't forgive. Can I tell you something? We don't do ourselves any favors when we hang on to bitterness. You heard about the old boy one night. He went to sleep. Man, he was bitter at somebody. And that night he had a dream that he was eating marshmallows and woke up and his pillow was gone. We don't do ourselves any favors when we get, when we get bitterness in our heart. Can I tell you something? Listen, God made our bodies, but God never made our bodies to carry the heavy load of bitterness. They're not equipped to do that. I mean, can I tell you what the... Now, I'm not saying... I'm going to list some things here, and I'm not saying if you've got one of these, you've got a bitter spirit, but I am saying bitterness will bring these things on. Ulcers. High blood pressure. I got high blood pressure. I take two medicines every morning and eat a quart of chocolate ice cream for my blood pressure every morning. Uh, heart attacks. Strokes. It's medic a medically known fact that those things can be brought about in a person's life because they will not forgive. If you go through your Bible, you'll find out there are two men in our Bible that hung themselves. There are two of them. 
They're really, I, if you count Absalom getting caught up in the tree, but there are two men that actually hung them. Number one was Judas. We know after Judas did what he did, the Bible said he went out and he hanged himself. Judas hung himself, but there's a boy in the Old Testament that hung himself. His name is Ahithophel. You say, Ahithophel who? His name is Ahithophel. And let me tell you, Ahithophel was a wise man. In fact, he was one of David's best friends, and he was a counselor. You know, our president has advisors around him that advise him on the, how to make certain choices. We really need to pray for those advisors as well, and those counselors, that God will give them wisdom to be able to help our president to make right decisions. But David had counselors. So in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Uh, David had counselors, and his number one counselor was a man by the name of Hith of, 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 Hith of <laughs> Ahithophel. I'll get it out in a minute. Ahithophel. And here's what the Bible said about Ahithophel. Here's what the Bible said. And the counsel of Ahithophel. The counsel, the wisdom, the advice of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David. In other words, if I'm reading that verse correctly, what that verse is teaching me is when Ahithophel spoke, it was not like E.F. Hutton. It was like the voice of God was speaking. He was so wise. He was so endued with wisdom. Boy, you could trust the counsel of Ahithophel. But can I tell you this? Ahithophel turned on David. He turned against David. And when Absalom rebelled against David, Ahithophel joined up with the enemies of David and, and actually gave, he, he gave counsel to kill King David. Ahithophel did. And then the Bible said this about Ahithophel. The Bible said that when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and arose and got him home to the house, to his city, and he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. Why did he do that? Let me tell you what I didn't tell you about Ahithophel. Ahithophel was eat up with bitterness. You know why he was so bitter at David? Because Ahithophel was the grandpa of Bathsheba. Yeah. And I can see old Ahithophel. He was so proud today that Bathsheba married Uriah. I mean, his soldier. Man, a good boy. They got married. Boy, I can see a Hithophel sitting in the service that day with his carnation on. He's so proud. His daughter has married this soldier in David's army, a representative of the king. He's so happy. But then David commits adultery with his granddaughter. I mean, they're best friends. And David does something like that with a Hithophel's granddaughter. I mean to tell you, a Hithophel was mad at David and it eventually led to his own death. Let me tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because he was full of bitterness at King David. Don't you tell me that it's okay. Don't you tell me you're all right. If you're full of bitterness tonight, I'm telling you, hear me, God did not make our bodies to carry the heavy load of, of bitterness. God didn't do it. You can't do that and be happy. Amen. So I said, number one, what I say? Number one, there is the reason of grace. Number two, there is the result of grief. And number three, there is the release of guilt. Can I ask you this or can I tell you this? When you and I won't forgive, you know what we really do to ourselves? 
We put ourselves in a pickle. That's right. When you and I, somebody does something to us and we won't forgive, can I tell you something? We really put ourselves in a real, in a real problem. Here's what I mean by that. How many of you, how many of you are going to pray this week? <laughs> I hope you do. Well, good, three of us are. Whew, maybe I should have preached on prayer tonight. How many of y'all are going to pray this week? Probably sometime, <laughs> sometime or another. Hope you'll come back before Wednesday night. You'll pray before you come back. But uh, we're going to pray. And how many of you are going to want to get an answer to your prayer? If you want to pray and get an answer, raise your hand. Can I tell you something? You can't get an answer if you're full of unforgiveness. You say, preacher, where's that at in the Bible? The Bible says you can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, but you'll not get any answer until you deal with that bitterness. Let me show it to you. The Bible said in Psalm 66 and in verse number 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, say it with me, the Lord will not hear. So in other words, number one, when we get bitterness in our heart, we paralyze our prayers. You can pray, but there's no answer. What about this? How many of you probably are going to come to church sometime this week and want to worship God? Probably. Sometime or another. In the next month or two. Come to church and worship God. Can I tell you something? You can come and want to feel a tug on the... Don't you like to feel something when you come to church? I'm like that little boy flying that kite, you know, and... Man, he had his way up there, and while he was flying it, the clouds came in and lowered, and I mean, there he is standing there holding a spool of thread, running up into the clouds. Somebody come by, and he was standing there and holding that spool of thread, looking up there, and somebody said, what you doing? He said, I'm flying a kite. That guy looked up and said, kite? Kite? I don't see no kite. How you know it's up there? He said, every once in a while, I'll feel the tug. You like to come to church feel the tug? I do. But can I tell you something? As long as you've got unforgiveness in your heart, you can't even worship God. You say, preacher, where's that at in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Look at this verse right here. I say unto you that whosoever is angry with a brother without a cause, says the dangerous Jesuit, whosoever is angry with a brother, that's not the one I wanted to use. Is there another one? Let me, let me quote it to you. The Bible said, if you bring your gift to the altar and their remembrance that thy brother has aught against you, leave there thy gift before the altar. First, be reconciled to thy brother, then bring your gift to the altar. In other words, we can't even worship God until we deal with that unforgiveness. Now, let me ask you this, and I think you'll agree with this. How many of y'all are probably going to sin this week? <laughs> we all are, aren't we? And we're going to need to get forgiveness, aren't we? Can I tell you something? You can't get forgiveness until you forgive. I mean, you can, get, you can go to God with tears streaming down your face and say, oh, God, I've messed up. I want to ask you to forgive me. But you can't even get forgiveness until you forgive what the Bible said. Look at this verse right here. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive. I mean, we're in a mess. If we, won't, if we won't turn loose of that old bitterness and that old unforgiveness, if we won't give it away, I'm telling you, we can't pray, we can't worship, we, we, can't, we can't get forgiveness ourselves. We put ourselves in a pickle, man, if we will not forgive. So I'm just going to tell you, if you really want joy and there's somebody you need to go to and make something right and look at me, you know... 
and God knows. I mean, that old falling out you had with somebody. You say, but preacher, I was right. Come here. You do understand there's more important things in life than being right. You say, preacher, I won the argument. Yeah, and lost your family. Yep. Is there somebody in here tonight that you need to make a phone call to? Is there somebody in here tonight that you need to say, hey, this has gone on long enough. I, I, I want to come to your house tonight. I want to get this straight. Is there somebody that uh, you had a big falling out with and for all this time your pride has kept you from doing what you and your heart know that you need to do? Make that phone call and make it right. Can I tell you something? When we sin... We need to get forgiveness. But when we're sinned against, we need to give forgiveness. Because we place ourselves in a real pickle as long as we try to hang on to unforgiveness. And I said all that to say this, you're never going to have joy in your heart until we forgive those who hurt us. You know... I, I, I ain't got a verse of Scripture what I'm about to tell you, but I just wonder sometimes if the Lord don't let us go through some of the things that we go through. I'm not saying He causes them. I'm just saying I wonder if He don't just let us go through some of the things that we go through just to show us how bad we hurt Him and yet He forgave us and how we, though hurt may be, need to forgive others. Can I have an amen? Maybe your problem is an unforgiving spirit. Let's bow our heads for prayer.